This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get into today's program, I just wanted to remind everybody that Theory of Change is part of the Flux Media Network. So go to flux.community for more podcasts and articles about politics, religion, media, and society, and how they all intersect. And you can also go to theoryofchange.show to get the full archives of this program with the video, audio, and transcript of the episodes. And if you have a paid subscriber account, you have unlimited access to all of those. And my thanks to everybody who is a paid subscriber. Thank you very much. And if you can't afford a subscription at this time, you can help out by telling your friends or family or coworkers about the show. That is also much appreciated. All right, so with that out of the way, let's get into today's program. Donald Trump's rise to power within the Republican Party set off an explosion of reactionary extremism within the right-wing ecosystem. But it's important to realize that Trump did not create the present-day authoritarianism that dominates Republican politics. He only encouraged it and empowered it. As president, Trump welcomed in some of the most extreme members of Congress, including former representatives Mick Mulvaney and Mark Meadows, both of whom went from throwing bombs as members of the so-called Freedom Caucus to setting policy for the entire country as the White House Chief of Staff. Trump's ascent to the top of Republican politics also discombobulated the lavishly funded world of right-wing media, which went from calling him a traitorous liberal who was going to sabotage the party to slavishly repeating every single one of his lies as president, including his lies about losing the 2020 presidential election. One person who saw all of this up close and personal is Terry Kreppel. He is the founder and editor of Con Web Watch, a publication that has continuously monitored and counteracted a group of right-wing websites that were started in the 1990s, including several that I personally operated during my former career as a right-wing activist. And so joining me to discuss all of this is Terry Kreppel. He is the editor of Con Web Watch, which is a website that has looked for many years at right-wing media. So welcome to Theory of Change, Terry. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, the right-wing media ecosystem has become gigantic, so large that in many cases, some of their outlets have bigger audiences than the audiences of more quote-unquote mainstream media sources like CNN, for instance, on YouTube and whatnot. But things started a lot smaller and the extremism was always there. And that's something that you had seen in the course of doing your site, Con Web Watch. So tell us briefly just what is Con Web Watch and how long have you been doing it? Okay, I started the website in 2000. At the time, I was working for a newspaper in Arkansas, actually the biggest one, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, as a copy editor. And I was seeing all these like websites, these right-wing websites pop up and seeing a lot of bad journalism on these websites. And I created the website to call that out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Um, well, and, and, and you, it's, it's been interesting because I think a lot of the national journalists, including many who probably should know better, they, they didn't seem to pay attention to much of this stuff, uh, while it was happening. Is that right? Yeah. They pretty much were ignoring it at the time. They didn't see it as anything major because it was still on the internet was still a fairly small thing at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I did kind of pick up on some of the, a few of the sites that were making a larger splash on on the internet at the time. Kind of focus on those. Uh-huh. Okay, and one of those was well, and I guess it, what, what's kind of interesting is that uh, the sites that you had focused on for a number of years to cover and sort of respond to their statements that they are just much, much less influential in the right-wing media ecosystem now than they were. It's almost like they had been leapfrogged. And, and I guess, but we've, we've, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let's talk about the sites that you had focused on in the, in the beginning and, and um, what's happened to them in the interim. Okay, the main sites I focused on at the time was Roll Dead Daily, Newsmax, and the... Media Research Center and its uh, CNS news operation. And so WorldNet Daily, I think at this point, a lot of people have never heard of WorldNet Daily. What What is it? It still exists. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was created by Joseph Farah back in, I think, 1998 as a outgrowth of his Western Journalism Center, which he had, which was a nonprofit to... Mm-hmm. And who was he? What? And who was he before he did that? Okay, he had actually worked for newspapers mostly in California. His he started moving steadily rightwards during that time. He eventually moved to the Sacramento Union in California, and he got a license to turn into a basically a right wing newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, and as kind of a last ditch attempt to keep the paper alive. And it didn't work. <laughs> no, the paper went out of business shortly after he left. But he, I think he got the idea that if he could get a, something that probably didn't work locally, but if he could get a national audience for that kind of content, he could, he might be able to do well. And the internet came along after that. And he was actually one of the earliest people to kind of recognize that. To make a, a national news website. Yeah. Right. Okay, and then they continued in operation as, and 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 I guess they were also, at least in the early days, a lot more well integrated within the Fox News, because um, uh, they because Fox launched in what was it ninety six I believe right so yeah. just short shortly uh, before World Net Daily had right, and so so what were what were some of the early stories that they were doing over at World Net Daily. They had a you know, were heavily attacking Al Gore during the 2000 campaign, and they had mm-hmm. actually created stories that were linked to alleged goings on in Tennessee. And they actually got some stories from a couple of people who had originally created them in the within the Center of Public Integrity, which, but they eventually backed away from the stories and told them to do them on their own and only daily picked them up. Mm-hmm. And what eventually happened is they had uh, the stories implicated a car dealer in Tennessee portraying as a drug dealer who most possibly set fire to one of his car dealers as an arson to throw the insurance money or whatever. The car dealer eventually sold, sold sorry, sorry, sued World of Daily for defamation. And Joseph Farad made a whole a big show about how the story is correct, and the lawsuit was frivolous and all that. But 
a few weeks before the lawsuits to go to trial, they quickly uh-huh. finally settled. Mm-hmm. And got it. And did, did he ever comment on that fact? Uh, nothing beyond the the mutual statement in which Roller Daly had to admit that they hadn't. There's nothing true about what they'd alleged about this guy. Okay, and then they were also were they they were also into the the Vince Foster story as well, which oh, yes, they we'll talk about Newsmax of- with that, but also, but yeah, what was that story for those who don't know it? Okay, Vince Foster was he was a he was a lawyer in the Clinton White House. Yeah, and he had committed a suicide in like 1994. Mm-hmm. Even though, and even though there's pretty solid evidence that it was a suicide right-wingers quickly seized on that and suggested that it was a murder that Hillary clinton had an affair with Vince foster and his this was an attempt to try to cover it up that sort of thing well That's they also the, claimed that chelsea clinton was his daughter as well if i remember right right no he was no she's supposed to she's supposed oh to, that was webb hubble, webb they hubble claimed. yes <laughs> man hard to keep all those scandal guys straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and and i think that that those the vince foster story did kind of it illustrated the that that this was a type of media that was not interested in journalism and standard fact checking and talking to everybody involved and getting their opinion that it, this was agenda driven exactly uh, yes media that was highly opinionated and very different from anything that people might have been used to was that was that what your interest in in it began from yeah seeing how all these narratives are being pushed even though there's no real factual basis to them that is promoted solely as political attacks not mm-hmm. as any sort of actual journalism and and, and i guess they kind of did that pretty much with uh, a lot of different stories and during the bill clinton presidency and i guess there were a couple of them that there might have had a couple like Monica Lewinsky was was obviously had been involved with Bill Clinton, but that story, of course, did not originate in right wing media, notably. <laughs> well, and yeah, and 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 I guess the other thing that was, I don't know. So I mean, at that point, as these outlets began emerging, what was the what what did you see the reaction being from more conventional quote unquote mainstream media to all these things they were saying? I think they were just basically trying to ignore it and hoping it would go away, and they really haven't. And actually, they because the narrative in the right wing media is that mainstream media or liberal media or whatever term they're using these days cannot be trusted. You can only trust the right wing media that feeds on the creation of more right-wing media. So it's kind of, it's creates its own uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Well, but, but also I did, I do think though, that they did feel like that they had some sort of obligation to promote these people, not just ignore them. Like they would put them on as guests sometimes to have debates about things. Yeah. Although I guess maybe they didn't do that as much back in the day or did they? I don't think they did as much in the early years, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But they'd certainly do now. Yeah. Because it's 
it's enough of a right means enough of a its own thing now that pretty much has to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. Well, though I guess there were some people who were who had been signed as syndicated columnists, like Ann Coulter, who had who regularly interacted with were promoted in the mainstream media, but were had originated in far right media. Right. Right. And there was a lot of synergy between like Fox News and other right wing media early on because World Net Daily gave Bill O'Reilly a column. And that actually evolved into like a major syndicated column for several years. And yeah, and he was I guess it's been a little while since he was at Fox, so perhaps some people don't realize that he was the original main attraction at Fox News Channel. Right. Uh, yeah. Back in the day. Kind of goes yeah, away. It, you kind of forget about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. And then, so World Net Daily also, I think, probably reached the height of its influence during the Obama years, thanks to promoting the completely unproven, undocumented claim that Barack Obama was born in Kenya or somewhere outside of the United States and was not a citizen of the United States, AKA the birther story. That was, that was their apex. Was it not? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, their original story on it was that when like the first story they did back, like, like early 2007 or 2008, where mm-hmm. they agreed that the birth certificate that Obama had presented was authentic. Then they had to backtrack said, well, it's, it's not a real birth certificate because it's just a copy of it. It's not the real one. So they spent the next four years demanding the release of the real birth certificate, which they mm-hmm. actually finally got in 2012 mm-hmm. before the 2012 campaign. Yeah, although I guess there's still a, a minority of them that say, well, this is a reproduction of a... Like like a modern day report. This is not yes, a nineteen sixties Photoshop. Yeah, we got, that's what Roland Daly moved to after that. Kind mm-hmm. of like the, I think it was kind of their moral event horizon where they had to to do something just to keep the story alive. And there's mm-hmm. never any evidence to show that it was. Mm-hmm. No, that it was. That yeah. Well, and then and then of course I think that that story is also significant in that it was also Donald Trump's way of entering the Republican sort of political ecosystem as Mm -hmm. being somebody other than just a a bloviating, serially bankrupt Mm -hmm. guy who owns strip clubs and casinos. (laughs) Right. And the funny thing is, in 2016, when questions were raised about Ted Cruz's birthplace and whether he was a league president, Roland Daly kind of backed away from birtherism. Because Joseph Ferris was a crew supporter at the time. Yeah, he was. His his fellow Christian nationalist extremists. Right. And there's there's other outlets that were kind of, as you mentioned, in the trying to kind of do largely the same thing. Now you, you didn't really focus on the Washington Times too much. Now why was that? At that time I was in Arkansas for the first mm-hmm. few years of the website. And I didn't have a lot of decent access to the Washington Times. And I figured other people 
were covering it better than I could. Mm-hmm. Though mm-hmm. when I did move to Washington during meeting hours, I did pick up on the Washington Examiner because mm-hmm. after Philip Anschutz bought it, bought the paper back when it was just mm-hmm. a suburban daily paper. Oh, actually, well, no, he, it did not exist actually under that name. It was something else, but yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really like suburban daily. Then he, he changed the name to examiner, but and mm-hmm. he originally had a plan to like have examiner publications all across the country. And, yeah. uh, but that never happened because the newspaper injury, industry kind of died basically <laughs> but for the yeah. first years he owned the washington examiner he it was like a regular daily paper but the you know, editorial section moved pretty sharply right mm-hmm. you know, and eventually he stopped doing doing it as news all together and it became become an opinion publication and a magazine yeah a magazine whatever yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Fox in many ways though, was kind of, it was the place where everybody came together, um, where you had these radical far right publications like world net daily and Newsmax, and where they they were, their, their owners and writers were regularly interviewed and their stories were promoted. But then at the same time, they were also trying to court the more conventional, you know, uh, conventional Republican people like National Review or the Wall Street Journal editorial page. And so so everything was kind of mashed together in Fox. And But that was not something that lasted over time. Over time, Fox became gravitating further and further to the right. Was that, it, how much aside from Trump do you think that, do you, do you think that was with Fox? Seems to me that no, that, I think Trump, the emergence of Trump kind of gave everybody a license on the right to actually move farther right and to be more farther right vocally. And Fox News really went that way. And now what about with Cruz, though? Like he was because there there was that moment in 2015, early 2016, when the more conventional Republican media and political activists did not like Trump. They were resisting him. But it's interesting that they were resisting him not because they thought he was extreme right wing. In fact, they thought he was liberal. (laughs) They thought he was a rhino and a centrist of some sort. That was that was a moment that you talked uh, you documented you quite a bit when in looking at the different publications that you looked at. Yeah, because, yeah, they didn't like Trump early on because he was more of a he's doing a lot of showboating and didn't seem to have any actual views that he sincerely believed in they just glommed on to whatever and mm-hmm. uh, well and he had had a past as a democrat right uh, yeah and a reform party candidate and hated on pat buchanan and called him a nazi if i remember right at one point racist at the very least so yeah there, there were and i guess and he was also pro-choice for a long time as well mm-hmm. so Solomon, somebody who didn't have any fixed views and it, and they were really suspicious of his moving to the right. But I think as of, as he started to win over voters and win, win primaries, they kind of decided that's what they needed to do, is kind of jump on that particular horse. Well, what were some of the things that, that you looked at in, or that you can remember that they had 
said about Trump besides that he was just kind of, I mean, a lot of them really seemed to hate him. I mean, the, the term never Trump, they, at least I guess in the moment they meant that clearly they did not mean that in afterwards, but you know, they, they seem to very much loathe him. Some of them, not world, not daily, of course. <laughs> right. They, yeah. They always kind of like Trump and they like that. He's very, had kind of that authoritarian feel, I guess, for lack of a better term, that had the force of personality to make his points. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even Brent Bozell at the Media Research Center, he was a big cruise guy at first. But even he mm -hmm. understood that momentum was shifting toward Trump and he steered the organization to do and to be a Trump defender. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and there during that time period, there was kind of this weird moment for the first time in its history where right wing media was actually independent of the dominant Republican politician. That had never happened uh, in the let's say since the 1940s of when this when they really got started. Nothing like that had ever happened. Did you, when that was happening at the time, did you find that interesting? Or did you notice that to yourself? A bit. I think I did an article on the MRC switching from hating Trump to loving Trump. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot mm -hmm. of there's a lot of animosity toward Trump at the time. But mm -hmm. they kind of now how much of that yeah, they, they they sublimated it or stopped talking about it. But I mean, how much of that do you think though is is sincere. I, I do obviously plenty of people seem to have gone all on board and say Trump is the best thing ever, a prophet even, uh, divinely ordained, depending on some people claim that. But you know, how much of that is just simply, well, that's who our voters want. And we don't, we think he's an, a moron and a criminal, but we're going to go with it anyway. I think a lot of just kind of recognizing what side their brothers voted on and that they, they can't not ignore Trump and they certainly cannot aggressively criticize him. And mm -hmm. they used and they mostly usually don't. Though mm -hmm. the MRC seems to be doing a backup by being a really heavy defender of Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the Ron DeSantis when he came along, he tried to pursue the traditional Republican strategy, which was, has always been from the very beginning of the Barry Goldwater organization coming along, that the way you win in the Republican party is to say that the current rulers are too centrist, they're too liberal, they're not far enough to the right, and that you, in fact, are the real right-wing extremists and are going to take things the way they should be. And that was what Ron DeSantis tried with Donald Trump, but it didn't work at all. Why do you, why do you think that is? Because you can't really outright Trump because Trump was never a rhino. He was always like pretty much delivering on the right-wing goods for the most part. And there was really no space that was sufficiently to the right that he could, mm -hmm. uh, could say he could do more, but mm -hmm. not so far right that he's come off as crazy. Sort of like, uh, mm -hmm. 
that's that space seems to be occupied by the, the Gromoswami right now. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to get further to the right of a guy who sent a mob of people to kill the Speaker of the House and the Vice President. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the Rhino is pretty much the last thing you can, you can credibly call Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but it's it's the the Trump's rise to dominance of the of the Republican Party, it not only did it kind of reorient some of the legacy right wing media websites and, and media organizations, it also led to the growth and explosion of a lot of newer people who have been even more radical, I would say, in particular people at the Daily Wire, who now, you know, openly talk about accusing transgender people of being demonically possessed or saying, I mean, just a variety of insane religious claims. And, and, and you got Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, who had 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 a gave a speech to a far right Christian media organization in which he claimed to be having a conversation with God. And God told him he was going to be like Moses, just like Moses and being the leader. And like that's stuff like that was not, I mean, Joe Farah, even on a, some of his worst days, didn't get quite up to that point. I feel like I, even though he maybe he perhaps more than some of the other ones. But yeah, like the, the more conventional right wing media outfits, they, right. they didn't dare say anything so radical and so extreme, even though they probably did think that way and roller daily does have a couple columnists who do pretty regularly criticize attack lgbt people like they do they do have scott lively mm -hmm. who, who's a major anti-gay activist and i've mm -hmm. kind of focused lately on michael brown who is a pastor who's his stick mm -hmm. is kind of frame his hatred of gay people as compassion and that he understands how they feel and all that. And it's like, but his words kind of betray that. Yeah. And, but at the, and at the same time, as these newer, much further right outlets have come into play, they've kind of really cannibalized the audience for kind of the legacy outlets that you had started tracking. I mean, is that, and I guess there's, you, you've written about World Net Daily kind of falling on hard times and having to have all kinds of layoffs and things like that. You right. want to talk about some of that? Sure. Yeah. They, in the past few years, they've had some major issues. They lost a lot of their advertising. They'll blame Google for not, for withdrawing their ad platform off the website. But a lot of it is just they, they keep printing you know, fake news and conspiracy theories. And and in between there, just Ferry had a series of strokes that took him out of running Rolling Daily for probably over a year. And he's been kind of off and on sporadically ever since. So in between there, mm -hmm. they kind of follow the uh, daily caller, caller model of moving its... Uh, Reporting to a nonprofit and begging and begging for uh, donations to run that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and it, and I guess they they just 
but despite all this shuffling around of stuff, it's it's the audience just is is a shadow of what it once was. Right. And I guess some some of that has also been they've they've been attacking Facebook quite a bit because they during their heyday were extremely promoted by Facebook along with a number of other far right websites like the Gateway Pundit. And they, yeah, they, it's, it's interesting that they seem to act as if they're entitled to that free promotion, that it's not the free market for Facebook to decide. We don't like this website. We're not going to give it free money and subsidize it. (laughs) They don't seem to understand that search engines like Google want credible information to be on top of their website, on the top of the search results. And Roland Daily is not and they seem to think they're entitled to have that for some reason yeah well and and i guess related to that it does seem like that the more legacy right as they have been but it it seems like there they there are some things that they're not willing to go as far as some of these other people and so instead they've been trying to associate with them Indirectly. So they may not be promoting white nationalists on the regular or somebody like Nick Fuentes or somebody like Alex Jones. They may not have anything to do with them. But at the same time, they're trying to get in that on that audience by saying that someone like Jones or various neo-Nazi people, they shouldn't be censored, quote unquote. Um, And they're like, so there's been a, a big push to try to claim that these that these views yeah like that there's this massive government complex to censor free thought and 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 of course it's always miraculously the only time they ever are concerned about it is people who are on the far right and never anybody on the center or the left right they're not concerned about that in any way yeah (laughs) yeah well the well first problems that well the daily started having with google was when they when it started publishing a guy named Colin Flaherty, who was very much into like race baiting. It's not really explicit racism, but it's more, you know, making people afraid of black people and how everybody, any crime is done by black mobs. And, uh, mm-hmm. and well, but it, World Net Daily is not the only one that's been doing this. Right. What is the, the verbiage uh, that they're using? And I mean, what, like, if you can talk about that a little bit. I mean, they just kind of do it as kind of innocuously as possible, kind of focusing on black on white crime. It's kind of like the main focus of these writers and kind of hyping that. Though there's, it's innocuous at the top, but it's clearly a racism, racist motive kind of at the bottom. And Uh another writer who's moving, kind of moving that way is like, Roland did call this name uh, Jack Cashel, who just wrote a book that effectively tries to absolve white people of guilt for fleeing cities in the 1960s and you know, out of alleged fear of crime by minorities, I guess. It's, mm-hmm. it's so much so that you know, VDare endorsed the book. Nvidia is what for those who don't know. Yeah, it's very very white nationalist, um, anti-immigrant. Yeah. Yes, and if you understand the reference, uh, named after Virginia Dare, who is the first white person 
who was born in the Americas. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's just this, I don't know. I mean, I, this continual dynamic though, of that the Republican party must always continue moving rightward that there it's, I mean, it, it's, there doesn't, and there doesn't seem to be any concern about that. Like within the Democratic Party, there is, are constant debates over are these activists getting too much authority? Is the party giving them what they want too much? And nothing like that really happens in the Republican Party, right? Not really. No. Uh, now, like I said before, that I think Trump gave every license to move farther right and to be more vocal about being farther right, and and a lot of the these websites have very much done the same and, and taken advantage of that. Yeah. And, and, and I think also that there is kind of a fundamental confusion in the United States over what conservative means that there is a conservative just in the generic sense that most people think of it as conservative means somebody who just wants to keep things the way that they are and doesn't mm -hmm. want to change things. But that's not what these people want. They want to have all kinds of, lots of change and to roll back things. And, and, and that's why they are better called reactionaries rather than conservatives. Right. And, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's like there's a lot of people who don't, who seem to have uh, misunderstood that. Do you think so? I think so, because there was, there was no real kind of set definition of being a conservative versus being right. There's no real dividing line between them anymore, if there ever was. And you, again, you can kind of see how what were normally steadfast conservative organizations becoming moving farther right, like the uh, Heritage Foundation. They definitely moved right, and they have this Speaking of radically changing things up, that's mm -hmm. for the their program called uh, the Project Twenty Twenty Five, which is which they plan to implement if Trump gets reelected, and it's basically a dismantling of the uh, civil services service system to install political operatives in civil service jobs to try and get their agenda is implemented. Mm -hmm. Well, and then another area where that's happened also has been the, the the promotion of conspiracy mongers like Robert Kennedy Jr. That he was, again, somebody who... So these people had always existed around the kind of the, the, the Alex Jones tier of, of Republican media, but now at least until he ran as an independent <laughs> while he was running as a Democrat, he was regularly put on Fox news and, and, and his anti-vaccine views have become mainstream in, in Republican politics. Whereas before Republicans in the, in the polls were just as pro vaccine as Democrats were right back in the day. Is that, I mean, is it, much of that do you think is is people going where the they think the market is or how much of that has do you think ha, have they said is that they've been convinced have they even talked about it at all i think a lot of the right wing promotion of k junior involved the idea that he 
could be popular enough that it might hurt Biden's reelection. And that was more of a straight thing that Newsmax did. Roland Daily focused embraces, he always embraced anti vaxxer stuff. So they embraced RFK's anti vaxxer stuff. And the Media Research Center promoted him as well. But they like to frame him as being a victim of so called censorship on social media, which is a lot of which involved debunking his false claims and conspiracy theories about vaccines. But after he, no, after he switched to bring as independent, they all pretty much stopped promoting him. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, it's like it, no, and and, and it, it that illustrates something though that so in my own former days as in right wing media, we all thought that the well, I guess I didn't as much think this, but my colleagues all thought that the the mainstream press was just out there to flagrantly serve Democrats and do whatever they said. But the immediate, almost immediate cancellation of, of, of Bobby Kennedy Jr. really kind of gives lie to that. That eventually, and part of my exit from the right was understanding that as much as they complained about liberal media bias, quote unquote, the stuff that they wanted to make was so much more biased and much more partisan, much less factual. And they seemed to have no concern about that that what they were doing was much worse and much more biased. Right. And they didn't, they really don't care about journalism per se. They, it's, it's more, more about activism. They think mm-hmm. that, like I said, they think that the non-rowing media are just a bunch of liberal activists where it's more of a geographical bias because most of them are based in New York and DC. So you get more out of that. Well, and and I mean, but again, some of it also just simply is that if you're interested in facts, then that's what journalism is supposed to be interested yeah. in, whether that succeeds or not, perhaps another thing. But if you're interested in saying, well, so-and-so said this or did that, that's not what right-wing media is about. And we're seeing that more recently with the, the all these Allegations about Joe Biden having supposedly been involved in business with his son, Hunter Biden, and all these completely unfounded allegations about large-scale voter fraud and stealing of elections in 2020. They they haven't had evidence for any of these things. And so if you're interested in facts, that makes you an enemy to them, it seems. Right. Yeah, I mean, all they're doing is just doing stenography for James Comer. They're not independently investigating anything he says. And uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you see that on the MRC all the time, where it's like, networks censor the latest allegations made by James Comer. It's like, you don't, and they don't mm-hmm. explore the accuracy of what they are. And and that's really what right-wing media is about, not necessarily about trying to do a sort of journalism that holds, that kind of promotes conservatism, but also holds it to account. It's just straight-up activism. Yeah. Well, and there was a there was a moment that, and I'm trying to remember, I think this was in 2012, when Tucker Carlson was had first started the Daily Caller or maybe 2014. And he had given a speech to the CPAC 
conference in which he said that he believed that the New York Times did good journalism, even though that it was biased in what it covered, but that it was sound on the facts and that if they said something happened, then it did happen. And that his goal with the caller was to basically duplicate their reliability, but have it be more uh, right wing. And people booed him (laughs) for saying that. Yeah, people um, like it when they. Because I think there's like a, like long ago, I can't remember it was like the early 2000s or something, when uh, um, Tim Graham of the uh, media research was actually quoted as saying that 75, some like 75% of what's in regular media is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but he uses the, but that's not the impression you get from reading any of their websites. That's mm-hmm. all about attacking the media mm-hmm. and not giving them any credit for anything unless they're advancing a right-wing narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess another kind of thing that is, has been problematic, and, and you talked about a little bit with some of these activists that World Net Daily had mm-hmm. been involved with who were publishing racist material. But one person in particular who was much worse than the the, the people you just mentioned was this guy named Paul Nalin. Um, yes. And he had published a book, World Net Daily had published, I guess it was at least one book by him, or had they done to they did a film with him that's right so you, do you want to talk about who paul nalen was and kind of there's been several characters that had been fully integrated in in legacy right-wing media who then also had subsequent private careers and later public ones as full-scale racist activists right yeah paul Nalen was a politician i think in wisconsin is that right but yeah, yeah. yeah, he came up. He ran against Paul Ryan. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he was like ran to the right of Paul Ryan, and he got a lot of attention for that. So, it's, and I think that's that's what gave Roland Daly the idea to publish a book by him because he was kind of a rising star on the right. After the book came out, however, he started getting more racist and anti-Semitic. And and what was his book? What was that? Oh, I it was about. The, was it about the run against Paul Ryan? I think a lot of it is just like in giving a platform to his right wing views. Okay, yeah, and one of them was he his he had a some sort of documentary that was anti Muslim, if I remember right. Right, and I think I don't not I can't remember if Roland Day was involved in that, but they downplayed or that it. they promoted it yeah yeah or well actually hold on no i i pulled it up for you you said that they started selling on its online store his uh, okay yeah his film yeah so and then yeah so he became so he began getting more radicalized and eventually began appearing on so-called alt-right activist podcasts and explicitly spouting racist propaganda and That's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff too. And as well. Yeah. Yeah. But what's, I guess, and what's very troubling though, is that, so this, ha- so it, and after that all got exposed about his, his racism, he did actually kind of get dropped from legacy right-wing media in 2018. But now here we are in 2023. Um, a lot of that 
rhetoric is now kind of mainstream in the Republican Party, uh, especially in regards to this um, conspiracy theory about how that they really believe that the goal of the Democratic Party is to replace white people in the United States with immigrants. And that seems like that's something that is a regular remark now on Fox News and you're in presidential debates even now, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, including by people who are not even white. Yeah. And the, and they try to pass it off by no false equivalence by knowing that liberals have pointed out the Democratic shift, but pointing out the Democratic shift is not the same as accusing Democrats of engineering the Democratic shift to Demographic, you mean, yeah. To, yeah, to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Well, it is also the case as well, though, that younger white Americans are less interested in Republicans as well. And I'll say, like, for me, when I was a right-wing activist, I was not religious. And so I was an anomaly in that regard. And I was very, needless to say, I was not a, a Christian nationalist. But that that definitely made some people very suspicious of me and... When I first got into, so I moved to DC to work in right-wing media and created uh, one of the sites that you monitored for a while, Newsbusters, that somebody told me I should not put on my Facebook profile that I was uh, agnostic atheist, as I described myself. They said, you'll, you'll, people, some people are going to hate you uh, because of that. And, and I, I thought that, I thought there might be some truth to that, but I thought that, well, if they did, then I wouldn't want to work with them anyway. So who cares? Yeah. But in retrospect, that was, that person was certainly correct <laughs> Yeah, because Christian supremacism and Christian nationalism is so important to right-wing media and, and that they, but they don't, but even, even a lot of these organizations, they don't say that, that that's what they want. But in fact, it is what they want. Like they don't, they don't say it too often. Maybe they'll say it once in a while, but generally speaking, they're not out there proclaiming we want far right Christians to have more rights than everybody else. They don't say that too often. Why do you suppose they never get asked about those opinions though? They probably, they, I think a lot of us, they kind of just put out like isolated views Mm -hmm. about that and they don't, they don't explain that it's a Christian nationalist view. That way they can kind of get it out there for the people who know and kind of get the, while also being able to kind of, I don't know if it's whether plausible denial or not, but we can say that the, just trying to get a view out that the right people will know what it means. To everyone else is somewhat, just somewhat innocuous. Yeah, well, and there, there's also just this sense that they really do believe that America uh, was created to be a Christian country. And even though they're, again, that's, I mean, like that's, it's something that I think people, a lot of people who who haven't, don't really consume a lot of right-wing media, that they don't understand that it, the whole ecosystem is built on just myth after myth after lie after myth. And, and, and eventually, it really is impossible to get people to understand. Like for somebody, again, like for me, when I was on the right, that I, I had a, I remember I had a conversation with Jim Hoff, the creator of Gateway Pundit, who has had a number, had to retract many, many stories over the years that he got wrong, including being sued multiple times for accusing people of being 
murderers, mass shooters and whatnot. I said to him, well, why don't you, why aren't you more careful about your stories and more careful about being accurate? I feel like it's not helping conservatives. It would be more helpful if you did. And he said, well, people just want to have fun. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) And so in that moment, it did make me think, well, this for him, a lot of what he says, he may not believe it. But but at the same time, you really, I, even even I, I couldn't really know whether when I would tell people, this thing, you the story you want to run is not true, or this thing you told me about is false. And it, it never gave them any sort of larger concern when I would tell them things they believe were so true were completely not. They'd just say, okay, well, we won't do it then. And eventually people started telling me they thought I was negative <laughs> because I would was constantly shooting down their stories. They were like, well, what do you, what do you want to run a story about? <laughs> and I was like, well, why don't we just do a, some policy analysis? And th- those, those, so I worked at the examiner as a, as an editor at one point, And I, I tried to get people to, they, they, they have this belief among other things that tax cuts always increase revenue. And I, I said to them, okay, well, show me evidence of that being true. And nobody could ever show me evidence of that. And so I would say, okay, so then why, why do we say that if we don't have evidence for it? And so they just at that eventually just decided, okay, well, we won't say that anymore, but we won't examine the larger question of why <laughs> did we believe this thing without having any evidence for it? And, 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 and I'll say for, for people who are watching or listening, it is, it is kind of, it is a little bit surreal in that you, Terry, are the first person I have ever had on this show who I have had previously blocked on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I guess it's probably a little weird for you as well, right? <laughs> well, like, uh, I think I wrote some not so nice things about you back in the day on my uh, mm-hmm. website. So, mm-hmm. always pointing out where I thought you were wrong. And, sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do kind of agree with you. It's like right away media is tends to be more about owning the libs rather than getting things right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so for people who might say though that these sites like WorldNet Daily or Newsmax or, or I mean, I mean, CNS News doesn't even exist anymore. Actually, yeah. Let's talk about that. The what was CNS News and what happened to it? <laughs> okay, CNS News was the uh, quote, quote, news division of the Media Research Center and mm-hmm. had run for a long time. They had like a actual longtime journalist there who actually tried to occasionally did, did real journalism, but a lot of it was just like repeating right-wing narratives. And mm-hmm. in April of this year, like three months before its 25th anniversary, the MRC abruptly shut down CNS without explanation. They mm-hmm. didn't give anybody a chance to say goodbye. They never ex- publicly explained why they did it. They got rid of like a bunch of people who had been there for 15, 20 years or more. And the funny thing is, I think I'm the only person who noticed that or wrote anything about it, which kind of tells you the its, you know, its placement in the right-wing media sphere in recent years. That mm-hmm. it kind of, yeah, it kind of became, I think, between, I think it was like an early attempt to kind of bring, do legitimate conservative journalism. 
but I think well, I think it, yeah, they didn't want it. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately what it showed, I think. And uh, and they're kind of caught betwixt and between that they're they weren't putting out any, enough good stuff that got noticed, and but they weren't extreme enough to get that other kind of notice. Yeah, and something kind of similar did also happen. You mentioned the Heritage Foundation earlier. The Heritage Foundation, they had started a website called Daily Signal. And in the beginning, it was they were trying to do kind of similar things to CNS, do lots of reporting and policy analysis, report, policy-based reporting, we'll say. But then eventually, pretty, I mean, I guess, I'm not going to say when how, when this change happened, but I did notice over time that all the reporting stopped and that everything was an opinion column. Almost everything was an opinion column. And because it's like that, again, like that's what the audience want. They don't, they're not interested in sort of a dispassionate presentation of, of facts. They want to know what do, what should I think about this stuff? And who, who are the bad guys in this? And how exactly, and how exactly are liberals the bad guys in this particular situation? Because they, mm, yeah. they always are. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I, I at one point it, it did remind me of something that I had personally experienced. So that I had given given I used to to teach occasional classes for this group called the Leadership Institute, which is a training organization on the right. For those who don't know, and the classes I was teaching were about how to start a website and whatnot. And I I tried to make my my presentations as strictly factual as possible and not try to get bogged down into various controversies or whatnot. And, and because I assumed people were there to just kind of learn, what should I do? How do I do this? The nuts and bolts. And, but oftentimes I was asked afterward in the Q and A's about questions, they would, they would ask me instead of saying, well, what software should I use? Or how does search engine optimize or whatever, just more practical questions. Instead, they, I was often asked, well, tell me what you think of Obama. And, <laughs> or what do you think about some random politician, Republican? And I would say, well, I'm not really here to talk about that. I mean, or, or they'd ask me, well, tell me, what do you think about the, the Constitution? Uh, and, I and it was just dumbfound me. And I would, I would say, well, I'm not here to talk about those things. I'm just here to tell you how to do something. And the response that I got sometimes back was that, well, I want to know where you stand. I want to know what you think about the bigger picture. And I would say, well, you can talk to me after we're done here if you really want to know, but I, I don't know if you do. And so, oh, or actually I remember getting asked if I was a registered Republican. People asked me that as well. And actually at that time I was not, I was, I never had registered as a Republican, believe it or not. And I guess maybe that was another thing that made me suspect. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, you'd think that no, that you, the fact that you're given a presentation at the Leadership Institute would be evidence enough that you have at least some sympathy toward conservatism. But yeah, no, it, it, they they wanted to hear it explicitly from me. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, there were a number of little incidents like that that definitely made me concerned over the over time. So, and I guess now we haven't talked about Newsmax as much in, in the conversation here. So Newsmax, I guess they are kind of the exception to the rule here of these legacy right 
wing media outfits getting bigger instead of contracting over time. So right. um, they started very small and that have continued to grow. And now they have a channel that routinely has Donald Trump and other top Republicans on their Fox News rival channel. So what's how is it that they've been able to grow and these other ones have not? What do you think? They do a lot of diversifying fairly early. They got into the health space where they did like a lot of newsletters, like a like a lot of sketchy health newsletters, but mm -hmm. it made generated revenue. And they're able to kind of parlay that and create a originally just video content and they ultimately a an entire channel. And they kind of did a good job capitalizing on Fox News's stumbles, if you can call it that, in, in, that, in that area where they kind of backed away from Trump and... You started telling the truth for... Yeah, right, which is... In 2020. backed away from Trump. <laughs> yeah. But, well, yeah. so you think it was just the diversification that they were able to do that? Yeah, because the World of Daily tried that as well, but they didn't succeed very well at all. You know, mm -hmm. first they got into books. They they partnered with a bunch of different companies for creating their own book publishing entity. Though actually, what they did end up doing, they acquired their final partner, book partner called World Ahead Press, which was actually run by a created by a co-founder of PayPal. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. And of course, we know who else came from PayPal, Elon Musk and Peter Thiel. Mm -hmm. And yep. they also tried to do like a film division too, as well. And they tried to parlay that into something. And they, that's, I mean, it started having money problems to where things that got shut down were the book division and the movie division. Because mm -hmm. they clearly weren't generating enough money to justify their existence. Yeah. Well, and I guess one other kind of little side note about WorldNet Daily is that Joseph Farah, the, the founder and owner, his daughter, Alyssa Farah, went to into Republican politics as well. Um, right. And, and he, eventually uh, worked for Donald Trump. Right. She got she worked in the Trump White House. And the interesting thing on that is that when that first happened, they didn't really publicize it on Roller Daily. And they actually kind of wiped out her. She had written some articles for Roller Daily while she was in college. Mm -hmm. she went to, I think she went to Patrick Henry College, the the home the homeschooling family school outside of DC. Mm -hmm. They kind of basically wiped out her archive. Her the stories are still there, but they don't have her name on them. Okay. Um, and after she moved away from Trump after the Capitol riot, that kind of caused a family rift. Well, she actually left before she quit for Trump because he was concerned yeah, that she, he, yeah, she that left he was lying about before the, the riot, but she started being vocal about it afterwards. Yeah. And that caused issues in, in the family with Joseph. And yeah. Well, yeah. and and her in her experience, I think when parallels mine in that if you want to have any sort of connection to facts and exist in right-wing ecosystem, either you have to sort of bury that <laughs> impulse in yourself and become kind of sociopathic, 
or you leave there's or you go nuts <laughs> there's really only three sort of things that that happen and, and i do think that that's part of why you do have seen some people get more radicalized because that again like with trump they they were so insistent that he was horrible and just the worst person ever to run for president and couldn't be allowed in the white house he would be a disaster and then that when you when you say that type of language and then you turn on a dime right. because it's good for your revenue and good for your career that's got to do something to your brain i have to feel like i would think so <laughs> and you'd think that it would make you feel like a sellout or and people would notice that too and they they just kind of brush it off um, well, even, yeah, and the mainstream media really, unfortunately, has done a very poor job at that, I feel like. And and they just keep doing this over and over with these people that, you know, whether it's they let them pretend they never have them have a real discussion about the 2020 election. Um, and so and, and, and all of them, including Trump knew that there was no evidence of voter fraud, except yeah. for the most deranged, crazy people. Almost every Republican activist or commentator knows that Trump, that he lost because there wasn't a single poll that showed he was going to win. Not one, <laughs> not one poll said he was going to win. And, and everybody knows how much people hate the guy, but he's the first president in American history for the majority of his term, almost the, almost the entirety of his term had a negative approval rating. Um, right. And so, of course, that person lost his reelection bid. It right. was no surprise to anyone. But again, this was just another example that, well, they decided, well, he's going to try to go for it, so we'll let him do it. And there was some anonymous, I think it was a Republican congressional source that was quoted to the Washington Post. They said something like, well, what harm could he do? We'll just let him try this for a while. And then we'll be done with him and he'll be out of our hair. And of course, that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of continue to feed on that as well. Because the MRC after the 2020 election kind of built this kind of parallel conspiracy theory that Trump lost because nine people knew about Hunter Lyons back the laptop. <laughs> but they hired polls, they it's based on a couple of polls that they paid for. One was from the McLaughlin Group, which was Trump's election pollster. And the other one was from the polling company, which is, of course was founded by Kellyanne Conway, who was a mm -hmm. Trump advisor. So the polls are, can Bias. be, could be <laughs> attacked as suspect. And then, of course, they've been citing that ever since. And they've uh -huh. been, other people picked up on it as well. Um, yeah, well, yeah, and it's also and that those polls were a good example of why self-reporting is actually not used very much in political science, because in many ways people will agree to any proposition, and they may not understand yeah. fully what it means when they agree to it, and and that include it includes when you ask people what their political ideology is that many people will say one thing, but actually have beliefs that are diametrically opposed mm -hmm. to that ideology. But in their mind, it, it's, that's what whatever the word means to them. And so they'll tell you that. And when many people have, and, and there are countless videos out there on the internet of people going to 
public spaces and saying, do you, are you glad about Trump's pro-choice policies? Do you support those? Oh, yes, I do. Or do you support Joe Biden's standing up for oil companies or whatever, like the opposite view they will ask people right. and they'll say, yes, yes, they, 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 they like it. So those types of surveys are basically worthless from, from a polling standpoint, as a matter right. of fact. No, and even today, the MRC is, is effectively claiming that the only reason Trump is ahead because the media the media wants him to win to dom- the nomination. It's like you want to win most Republicans, but you never criticize that, do you? <laughs> and mm. that's well, they also said that in 2015, if I'm, when they hated yeah. Trump, the the media promoted Trump because they wanted Trump to become the Republican nominee yeah. instead of Ted Cruz. So it was, I mean, it's like literally completely contradictory, nonsensical viewpoints that they couldn't, it was just impossible for them to grasp that some of these people like Jeff Zucker of CNN just thought that he was a ridiculous show and wanted Mm -hmm. to let people see that. And like, that seems a much more obvious and as it turns out, supported by the facts of what happened. That's why he did it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Having worked in newspapers for a good chunk of my career, we're, we're not that smart. We don't we don't plan that far ahead. We have to, you know, we're covering what's going on, and we don't we don't try to build a narrative about somebody unless it was, a lot of it's just chasing what's out there and seeing what people are doing and reporting that. Well, yeah, and especially in Trump in 2015, it was such an incredible novelty. It was like it it was it was like a a Hollywood movie. It was almost (laughs) like Brewster's Millions, the Richard Pryor movie where a guy running for president kind of as a joke. And that that was how a lot of a lot of political editors and reporters and executive producers. That's how they saw the Trump. Yeah, it just mainly could like a vanity run, basically. And yeah. even he was even like, well, Newsmax kind of floated him as a candidate as early as 2012. Because Ron Kessler was who was a rig buddy of Trump and actually had written a book several years ago about the mm-hmm. of I guess the Palm Beach scene, social scene, and actually heavily praised Trump in the book and while mocking everybody else. He was really heavily floating Trump as a candidate back then. And I think that kind of helped set the stage, kind of gave him a foothold into being a candidate in 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Roger Yale certainly was helpful as well in, right. because he gave Trump a, a weekly slot on Fox and Friends to just... right. Talk. I mean, I remember when that happened at the time. It was it was just so random and stupid. Like that was how most people saw it. <laughs> yeah, he just calls in the Fox and Friends and just rants for a while. It's like about literally anything. Yes, <laughs> and usually nothing. <laughs> right. And the rest were all kind of amazing. How did that? How did that happen? How did that turn into him be? Becoming a credible candidate. So mm-hmm. amazing to kind of watch. In retrospect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what? It is it is interesting. And I've had some other episodes of this show where we've talked about it, that the 
as the right-wing media ecosystem has expanded so drastically and so immensely, whether it's people like Andrew Tate or Joe Rogan or Elon Musk now, who just absolutely dwarf anything of these more DC-focused people that you got that you look at, that the the democratic powers that be, the liberal philanthropists, I don't think that they've noticed that this happened. I don't think that they realize how popular Joe Rogan is, and they don't understand how many people watch Matt Walsh. They they have no idea that this has happened, and that people so that such and their audiences are so huge now, and it, predominantly this is because of video that their audiences are bigger than the Washington Post editorial page. They're bigger than the Atlantic. They're bigger than the New Republic. They're bigger than pretty much any prestigious left organization. Right. And on YouTube, before he got banned from there, Alex Jones had more views on YouTube than CNN did, even. That's how huge this is. And I don't think that a lot of people in the, especially in the more established left, I don't think they take this seriously. Do, do you think so? Probably not. I don't think. Anybody took Matt Walsh seriously until like the Bud Lights controversy and then the, the controversy with Target over the LGBT goods they were selling. I mean, they actually made a couple falsehoods about what they were selling. And that got corrected mm -hmm. in actual media outlets, but right-wing media, they didn't care. They just promoted the, the outrage. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I don't feel like that people in the establishment left, they don't, they don't know about this stuff. They don't care about it. They think that everybody's just as influential as, as Joe Farah. And they don't, that the dynamic has changed in yeah. probably the past 10 years. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Willa Daly does not really have anywhere near the influence they once did. Um, the media research center is kind of, I'm not sure where they're at because they seem to be kind of, are they falling quite a bit? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're shrinking a bit as far as... Well, CNS, they, yeah, as an example. Well, CNS, they, I think they've... Custom and they had to get rid of their culture and media institute. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, no. per se. MRC Latino really doesn't exist anymore, though they have a party of the back writing for them but mainly mm -hmm. as like a regular writer and not necessarily Latino project. Or... Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and so I, it, my point being though, that as these new far right figures have come along, it's a, it's, I, I don't think that they, the establishment left doesn't take them seriously either, even though their audiences are so much bigger. And, right. and, and part of it might be that they know Rogan by his former reputation of being a guy who makes people eat bugs. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's what they that's what they want to see him as instead of being the number one by far right-wing media personality who is a kingmaker for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has single-handedly created multiple far-right media figures at this point. Right. And I, I kind of see it from the viewpoint of they should be taken seriously if other right-wing figures are defending them anytime they do something wrong. Mm -hmm. 
which is never do. <laughs> never seen you went hard in defending Rogan a couple of years ago when uh, he got caught by giving a, being racist. Yeah, well, being racist and promoting like a lot of anti-vax conspiracies mm-hmm. and then getting like having YouTube and all that kind of pull those videos because they were you know false. Oh. Conspiracies. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah, so I don't think they take it seriously and they don't understand the audience reach. And, right. Um, and, and and some of it is I, to go way back to earlier in the conversation that you said that when the more conventional newspaper people that you knew early in the days of your site, that they they just thought that this stuff would go away. And like I, I had had a conversation with somebody who is a very well-known funder of center left causes and this person said to me oh that stuff's not serious um and and i said well what if millions tens of millions of people believe it is it serious then and that he didn't respond because yeah. <laughs> yeah they don't they don't I, again like i can understand when you look at somebody like walsh or shapiro i mean these people are idiots they're stupid they run their mouth and say whatever it, it will get them traffic and outrage and and the things they say are are unsupported and ridiculous they are but they're still massively influential and there's this i don't know there's this i feel like there is a kind of a myopia of people who live in what liberal bloggers called the reality based community in mm-hmm. the early 2000s the people who live in the reality based community they think everybody else does too um and that's very unrealistic, I would say. Right. And I think that kind of came to the fore more after the 2020 election when people still believe there was election fraud, even though nothing has ever been proven. Including, what was it, 75 court cases. <laughs> right. Nothing came out in 75 court cases. That should probably tell you something. <laughs> and, even, and even today, uh, Rudy Giuliani is you know, going mm-hmm. to be on trial for uh, for the false things he said about the two Georgia election workers. And he, even though he had admitted in court that they were false so that they could just get it out and they didn't have to do discovery, he came out and said, they're true. I can prove it. It's like, why didn't you do that during discovery if you're going to do that? So mm-hmm. like they kind of believe their own... Choose your own reality. <laughs> they get, they get uh, high on their own supply. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, and the Trump 2020 election lies have shown that the there are real consequences to believing lies like this. And even with the economy, that when you look at public opinion surveys of consumer confidence, the, the right-wing media's constant drumbeat of how the economy is horrible and Biden is leading us all into a depression with fentanyl and illegal immigrants and trans people, Republicans have basically sort of brainwashed their supporters so much that within literally a week of Biden becoming president, when they asked people about what rest Republicans, what do you think about the economy? They went from thinking it was fantastic, even during the worst of the pandemic, to thinking it was horrible. It was never getting better. And those viewpoints are now indirectly impacting many other people as well, who may have never even heard or watched right-wing media even once. It still has an impact. 
Yeah. I think they try to use the framing that because there was inflation, the prices are still high, the economy is horrible, and you know, we're all going to die or whatever. And that's not really the reality. And they have no interest in to delving further into it because attacking Biden is the point of highlighting these of saying anything, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and as a matter of talking about inflation, I mean, the inflation rate in this country was significantly lower than pretty much any other industrialized country in the world. So it has nothing to, this is a global condition that we're dealing with here. It has nothing to do with Biden per se. Right. Uh, because presidents just don't have that kind of power, no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't, you can't say that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so what other, have you got any other things that you think we should talk about here before, as we wrap up here? I think we've kind of covered everything I want to get to do. So I think we're in good shape. Okay. Well, so yeah, for people who do want to keep up with you, uh, what's your uh, preferred ways that they do that? Okay. Website is conwheelbots.com. There is an attached blog. I'm on Twitter slash X. I'm also on Mastodon, Post, and Blue Sky under Conwheel Watch on all of those. Okay, great. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Terry. And oh, thanks for having me. Let people do that. All right. Great. See you next Bye -bye. time or later. Bye. Okay. So that's the program for today. I appreciate everybody watching or listening. Thanks for being here. I'm Matthew Sheffield.